Good afternoon. It is a joy and a blessing to be here today. Um, I, in just a moment, want to get into this passage here in Colossians chapter 4. But before I do, I, I want to uh, take just a moment to have a kind of pre-sermon to the sermon. It's just something that I, I was thinking about through, throughout our service thus far. You know, t- today with having Ruger here, uh, it, it is uh, something that, as Lisa is working through, this is uh, something that may provide some distractions at times. But it got me to thinking about what our attitude as a congregation is. Is our attitude that we want to have all our ducks in a row, want to eliminate any distractions, or is our attitude that we want to be a welcoming and loving group? That is trying to reach out to others around us. Because sometimes if we're seeking to reach out to the world around us, we're seeking to bring people in, uh, you know, there's going to be times that we may bring in somebody who smells as bad as Ruger does. (laughs) There there may be times that we bring in somebody that uh, is not used to being in a setting such as this and doesn't know how to conduct themselves uh, as as we're supposed to in church. And so... uh, as I thought about that, I thought, what, what is my attitude? Um, is my attitude that I am wanting to, to bend over backwards to do anything that I can to show Jesus' love to those around me? Uh, and so as we deal with distractions, whether they be young babies or, or they be uh, service dogs or, or, or whether it be that our, our air conditioning can't keep up with the number of people in the room, whatever it may be, I think it's an opportunity for us to think about what our priorities are, what our attitude is. If we have the type of devotion, the type of love to see past those things and to, to remember why we're here and the type of relationship we want to have with one another. Um, and so I, I hope that's helpful. It was helpful to me as I, I considered that. Uh, I hope it's helpful to you as well. But I want us to focus today on Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2 primarily. Here in verse 2 we read, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Devote yourself to prayer. Some versions say, uh, be strong or stay strong in prayer. If I remember correctly, I think um, Jonathan's version said, continue diligently in prayer. Does this describe us? Could I say I'm somebody who, who stays strong in prayer, who continues diligently or is devoted to prayer? I think what we find in the scriptures is I can't stay strong in the Lord without staying strong in prayer. I can't be devoted to the Lord without being devoted to prayer. And what I want us to, to hopefully see as we consider prayer today is how vital it is to our relationship with the Lord and our service to Him. And I think, unfortunately, many times in my life, uh, I can't be described as somebody who is devoted to prayer. Um, unfortunately, there, there have been times in my life, and there are times that I still struggle from day to day with my prayer life being described as a before mealtime and before bedtime ritual. And that, that's basically all it is, and, and maybe many of you can relate with that. And many times setting aside time to spend in prayer with the Lord, it can seem more like a a chore than a privilege. But that's not the way that God wants us to view it. God wants us to genuinely desire to spend time in prayer with Him. And that's what I want to talk about. How do we develop that passion for prayer? Because that doesn't always come naturally. That's not always how I feel. 
But that's something that we can cultivate within our hearts and must cultivate if we want to have a strong relationship with the Lord. How can we make prayer something that we are constantly longing for? How can we become devoted, passionate, and strong in our prayer life? And there is certainly a lot that can be said throughout the scripture about prayer. We, we could spend uh, week after week talking about prayer. But what I want us to focus on today, I, I want us to kind of distill it down to talk about the why of prayer and some of the, the how of passionate prayer. I want to talk about the heart of passionate prayer and some of the habits of passionate prayer. So let's start off with the heart of passionate prayer, the why in our prayer life. I think any discussion of prayer has to start with a focus on our relationship with God. Uh, prayer needs to be motivated by a genuine desire to communicate with Him. Strong relationships are built on strong communication. And so if we want to have a strong relationship with the Lord, we're going to have to spend time communicating to Him and allowing Him to communicate with us. And the scripture stresses this idea of relationship in our prayers, especially as we come to the New Testament. You consider uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer or the, the model prayer as Jesus teaches us how to pray. How does he begin his prayer? Matthew 6 verse 9, we read, Our Father who is in heaven. Now that's interesting because as you look at the Old Testament, the idea of God as a father is something that's not talked about a whole lot. Uh, in a few places in the Old Testament, we see the concept of God being a father to Israel, Israel being his son. Uh, but when we come to the New Testament, when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus 14 times in three chapters talks about God being our father. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you can find a full 14 times in the entire Old Testament that the Bible, Old Testament talks about God being our Father. And yet, in, in Jesus, this idea of a relationship with God as our Father and us being His children is something that is seen so much more clearly uh, and is stressed so often. And we see this connected with our prayer life, that we come to God as a Father. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, we're told that we are no longer to have a spirit of slavery, uh, but we have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. How do we address God? We can address him as our Father because we are his adopted sons and daughters. I think sometimes I view prayer as, you know, writing my letter to the king. Uh, and certainly, uh, we, we shouldn't undermine the idea of the reverence that we have for God as king, as creator. But sometimes I, I think of it more as, you know, I'm going I'm to write out my petition here. I'm going to mail it off to the king and he'll maybe read it when he gets around to it. And, and maybe I'll get an answer. Maybe I won't. That's not how prayer is described. Prayer is described as me having a conversation with my father. Me appealing to my loving father who cares about. And so as I think about prayer, I need to think about that relationship that God in his grace has granted to me. And the scripture often associates prayer with seeking God, seeking his face or coming into his presence. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, in verse 14, we read, God says here, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will 
hear them there. Notice what two things we see right together. If they pray and seek my face. I think those two things are very closely related. That prayer is is seeking to be in God's presence, seeking Him, seeking His face. Psalm uh, chapter 27, or Psalm 27, verse 7 and 8, if you want to look over there. Here, notice how David connects these two ideas of seeking God and prayer. In verse 7 and 8, we read, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. It's very closely related with that passage that we just referenced in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. That here he talks about crying out to the Lord and describes this as seeking God's face. Seeking to commune with him. Later on in Psalm 34 and verse 4. Psalm 34 and verse 4 Here again, David writes, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. How was it that David was seeking the Lord? Well, evidently, he says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. David was seeking God in prayer. And so when we think about prayer, it's not just that we are seeking something from God. It's that we are seeking God. We are seeking His face. We are seeking His presence. We are seeking to build a relationship with Him. And if we value a relationship with God, we're going to value prayer. Our means of communication with Him, a means of building that relationship. But in a sense, we are always in the presence of God. If you look in Psalm 139 for just a moment. Psalm 139, here David recognizes that God is is always... Uh, around him, that he is always in God's presence. In verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, and if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. It doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter if what time of day it is. It doesn't matter if I've gone to the ends of the earth. You are there. Consider that for a moment as it relates to our communication with God. Imagine that you and your spouse, or maybe you and a, and a, a sibling, or, or you and, and some friend, were always together. You were always in one another's presence. Everywhere you went, no matter where you went, they were standing right there. However, you only acknowledged their presence at mealtimes, and before you went to bed. And, and of course, whenever you were with other Christians, you didn't want to, them to get the impression that you had a bad relationship with that person. And so you would acknowledge their presence and communicate with them in those settings as well. How strong of a relationship would you have with that person? If Aaron and I only communicated when we were together in this assembly, and when we sat down to eat meals together, how strong of a marriage do you think we would have? Not a very strong one. And yet God is always with us. We are always in God's presence. How often do we acknowledge that God is there? Are we ignoring him? Are we snubbing him? Are we failing to communicate with him like he has gifted us the opportunity to do? If we're just saying kind of the same thing from time to time, when we sit down to eat a meal, when we're together with our brethren, we can't 
convince ourselves that we have a strong relationship with the Lord, brethren. Relationships are based on communication. And the more we value our relationship with God, the more we recognize his presence in our lives, the more we are going to desire to communicate with him. You know, God may not be far from each of us. He may always be in our presence, or we may always be in his presence. But prayer, in a sense, is us drawing near to God. Us showing that we want to be in his presence. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. We read, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now there are many different ways that, that we can draw near to God. But I think primarily in this context we are talking about prayer. We're talking about drawing near to God with our petitions, seeking his help in time of need. And so the more that we value our relationship with God, the more we're going to want to draw near to him in that way. The more we're going to want to show that we value his presence in our life um, and recognize our need for communication with him. But here in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, it says there, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I think another motivation for having a devoted prayer life is a longing for God's help. You know, if we're going to approach God in a time of need, how often is that? I think what we see is that we always are in a time of need. Yes, there may be some times in our life that we have a greater need than others, but brethren, if we recognize our dependence upon God and His strength and His power and His wisdom, His guidance in our lives, the more we're going to want to draw near, the more we're going to realize that we're always in a time of need. James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. How many people here does that apply to? All of us. We all lack wisdom. How often does that apply to us? All the time. I always need God's wisdom. I'm never sufficient on my own. Uh, And it doesn't just apply to needing God's help and and wisdom. I recognize I lack strength. I recognize I, I lack faith. I lack love. I lack hope that I need God to help build these things within me. I need his strength from day to day. And the more I acknowledge that, the more I recognize how deeply I'm dependent on the Lord, the more I'm going to desire prayer. Because I know that I need to draw near to him. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. Jeremiah prefaces his prayer with this very thing, with an acknowledgement of his need for God. He says in verse 23, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself. Nor is it in a man who walks to direct his own steps. Correct me, O Lord, yet not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Jeremiah starts his prayer by saying, God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. I need your correction. I need your guidance in my life. One of my favorite songs is the song, Clay in the Potter's Hands. And I think the reason that I I grew... To, to love this song so much is because how the song begins. It starts out by saying, O Lord, you know my strength indeed is small. Lest thou should lead, I'm prone to slip and fall. Guard and direct or evil help me stand. Make me as clay in the potter's hands. And I feel like so many times 
Um, as I've struggled with different things, th those are the, the first words on my lip. Oh, Lord, I know my strength indeed is small. I cannot handle this. I need you. We need to recognize our helplessness and hopelessness without God. We need to recognize our dependence upon him. And the more that we acknowledge that, the more deeply we are going to desire prayer because we recognize our need for him. And sometimes our trials can help us in this. Consider 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Here Paul describes his own experience. He says in verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Trials can remind us of just how much we need the Lord. Um, here he says they were burdened excessively beyond their strength. We couldn't handle this on our own. And it's not that in trials we ultimately need God any more than we need God the rest of the time. Brother, we're, we're dependent upon God for our heart beating, for the, the air that we breathe. We are de completely dependent every moment of every day. However, trials like this remind us just how dependent we are on the Lord. Remind us that although maybe from day to day as things were going well, I thought that I had it all taken care of, I thought that I was in control. When trials come, they remind me, no, no, all along I was dependent upon God. When a health crisis arises, I realize that I rely on God for my health to begin with. When a financial crisis comes, we realize that we rely on God for our daily provisions. When some relationship crisis comes, I, I recognize just how vital it is that my relationship with God comes first and foremost in my life. When I deal with some great sorrow, I'm reminded that God alone can bring true comfort and peace and hope. When I fall to temptation, I remember I'm reminded of how much I rely on God's grace and his forgiveness and his strength to overcome sin from day to day. And so we need not to wait until these trials come to be reminded of that. We need to see that here and now. But when those trials do come, we need to allow them to be the reminder that they were intended to be. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, or 7 through 10, Paul talks about a continual trial that he had to face, what he calls his thorn in the flesh. And here he, he begs God that he would take this away from him. We don't know exactly what it was, but it was something that caused him great torment. But God's answer in verse 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What is Paul saying here? When I am weak, then I am strong. Paul, that, that doesn't make any sense. And what Paul is saying is the more he recognizes just how weak he is, the more he recognizes how dependent he is on God's strength. And that is where his strength comes from, not from himself. 
C.S. Lewis once wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Many times we blame God for our suffering, blame him for our pains, but many times God allows us to go through those trials to recognize our need for him. If, if suffering is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, what, what message is he screaming? He's screaming, you need me. You're not sufficient on your own. You need my strength. You need the hope and the peace and the joy that only I can provide. We need to be reminded of that. Even on days that are good, we need to be reminded of just how dependent we are on the Lord. Let's not wait until the trials come to cry out to God. Let's recognize that dependence every moment of every day and allow it to motivate us uh, to have a deeper prayer life with the Lord. But thirdly, talking about the heart of prayer, the why, the motive, we need to have a faith in the power of prayer. Many times we may recognize our need, but we don't feel like it's going to do any good. We don't feel like it makes any difference. But James chapter 5, verse 16 assures us, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The ESV says the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. It's not that it just accomplishes a little. It's able to accomplish much. It doesn't just have a little power. It has great power in its working. He goes on in verse 17 and 18 to use the example of Elijah. And he says, Elijah was a man just like us. He had a nature just like ours, and yet he prayed, and God heard his prayer. He prayed that it wouldn't rain for three years, and it, three and a half years, and it didn't rain. And then he prayed again, and God brought the rain. Was it that Elijah was somehow, you know, just some superhuman that was able to, to do these? No, he was just like us. He was just like you. And yet prayer was able to accomplish great things through him. We may not always see the outward manifestation that Elijah did of God answering our prayers. We may not see, like Elijah did, fire come down on Mount Carmel when we pray to God. And yet the same God that answered Elijah's prayer is the same God that I'm praying to. And I can trust that God hears my prayer and he's able to accomplish just as great things as he accomplished in Elijah and his request to the Lord. I think many times there, there are some kind of roadblocks to our faith in the power of prayer. Um, you know, maybe we think Matthew 6 verse 8 tells us, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Maybe I think, well, God already knows what I need. Why, why do I need to ask? Well, let, let's go back to the relationship illustration. What, what if I said, well, Erin knows that I love her. I, I don't need to tell her. That, that wouldn't be a very wise thing to say. Um, what, what if I we were sitting at the dinner table and uh, my, my glass was empty and I said, well, Erin knows that I, I need her to, to fill my glass here, so I'm just going to kind of point and grunt and hope she gets the hint. Well, of course not. No, I, I may ask her to, to do something for me, but if so, I'm, I'm going to ask her in a way that is honoring to her and recognizing the, the service that she would be providing me in doing that. And so both in thanksgiving and in request, God wants us to acknowledge our dependence on him. He wants us to express our thanksgiving for what he is providing for us. Matthew chapter 7 that we focused on uh, two weeks ago. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 8. God tells us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. What, what lesson do we get from that passage? Well, we do get the lesson that God is eager to help us. God is eager to open the door. He's eager to answer our request. But we also get the lesson that I need to ask. I need to seek. I need to knock. God desires that I acknowledge my dependence on him and seek his face, like we talked about earlier. Maybe when it comes to prayer, I think, but, but what guarantee do I have that, that God's going to answer my prayer the way that I want him to? Well, there's an attitude problem at the core there. James chapter 4 and verse 3 says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. When we come to God in prayer, it's not that he is some cosmic vending machine and if I press the buttons just right, then he's going to give me what I want. That's not what prayer is about. When we come to God, God doesn't want us to approach him as some vending machine. He wants us to approach him as the sovereign creator of all things and as a loving father who knows what's best for us. Ultimately, we were created for him. He wasn't created for us. And so prayer is not about getting man's will done in heaven. It's about getting God's will done on earth in my life. Jesus in the model prayer in Matthew 6 verse 10 says, Your will be done on earth as it ends in heaven. That needs to be my prayer. That needs to be my attitude. It's not that, well, God, this is what I want, and, and you better give it to me, or else I'm just not going to pray. No, I must have a genuine desire to seek God's will, His glory in my life. That's what needs to dominate my prayers. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If we know that he hears us, we know that we have our request. I can have confidence knowing that God's will is going to be done and that God's will is always best. I need to have a faith not only in the power of God to answer my prayer, but in his wisdom to answer it in the best way possible. Back in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, it talks about, uh, you know, if, if I ask for bread, will the loving Father give me a stone? If I ask for a fish, will he give me a serpent? Certainly not. Now, sometimes we think that's the case. We think that I've made a request to God and he hasn't given me what I want and he's just not blessing me in, in the way that, that he's, he's promised to. Well, God knows what's best for me. But I need to have faith not only in his ability to answer, but his ability to answer in the best way. But we might say, but if God's will is going to be done, whether I pray for it or not, then why pray? If it's only going to be according to God's will, then it doesn't make any difference. Well, I think what we see is that my attitude and my appeal to God's compassion can have an impact upon his will in my life. Think about it this way. If you have a child who makes a request of you, uh, does their attitude and approach in making that request influence your will or, or your answer to them? You know, if, if you have a, a child who, you know, is, is just selfish and, and, and seeking their, their own pleasures and comes to you and says, well, I want this. 
You might say, well, no, you, you don't need that. That's not what's best for you. What if you have a child who is willing to submit to your will, whatever it is, is willing to humbly come before you and say, you know, if, if it's uh, okay with you, if, if it's uh, something that you think is wise, would, would you be willing to let me do this? Do you think that might influence the way you respond to them? Well, of course it does. I think what we see with God is certainly he has his hard and fast moral will on many things. But when it comes to my individual life, my appeal to him can make a difference on what he decides to do. Exodus chapter 32 verse 14, remember when Moses approached God. And Moses here comes before God as God is stirred up in wrath against the Israelites, getting ready to uh, wipe them out and start afresh. And Moses appeals to God's promise. He appeals to God's uh, faithfulness and his character. And in Exodus 32, verse 14, it says, So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Our prayers can make a difference. James chapter 5 already told us that the effective prayer of a righteous man can avail much. It can make a difference. You, know, you think if I'm going through some trial, and in my approach to God, I show him that I'm learning the lessons that he wanted me to learn through that trial. And that I'm willing to submit to whatever his will is. If you want this trial to continue, God, you be glorified in that. And if I'm willing to, to fully pour out my heart before him and let him decide, do you think my approach may have a difference in how he responds? God wants us to grow. He wants to build faith within us. But God wants to bless us. And so certainly we need to believe in the power of prayer. Prayer can make a difference. Prayer does make a difference. The effective prayer of a righteous man in faith can have failed much. With the time that we have remaining, I want us to talk about a few habits of passionate prayer. And there are many things that we could talk about, but I hope this will be helpful to you as it's helpful to me as I consider how I can best communicate with God in prayer. And the first thing that I see as I look through the scripture is that we need to be purposeful in our approach to prayer. You know, prayer, first and foremost, is about the inward man. It's about the heart. It's not about the outward posture or approach. But as is the case with all of our worship, we need to strive to make the outward aspects aid the inner man in accomplishing his purpose. And so, I think it is helpful for us to consider our prayer body language. If you look throughout the scriptures, what we see is that people pray many different ways on many different occasions. Consider, uh, and we won't turn to look at all of these passages, but Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, Jesus praying in the garden before he is betrayed and arrested. How does he approach God in prayer? It says he fell on his face before God, prostrating himself in the garden before the Lord. But in contrast, in John chapter 11 and verse 41, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, how does he approach God then? Well, there it says he lifted up his eyes to heaven and prayed to the Lord. Much different approach. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 36, Paul meeting with the elders in Ephesus, it says they all knelt by the seashore uh, to pray together. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, we see Solomon at the dedication of the temple kneels with his hands spread out to God. 
1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 13, Hannah prays silently in her heart to the Lord. We see many different approaches at different times. Sometimes bowing, sometimes kneeling, sometimes prostrating, sometimes standing up and looking to heaven. Sometimes raising their hands, sometimes praying silently, sometimes playing audibly. Why? What's the difference? I think what we see to a large extent is that the type of prayer and the type of request that they are bringing, the context of that prayer, determined how they approached God in that prayer. Now, as we train our children today, how, how do we normally train them to pray? Well, we, we close our eyes, we bow our head, we maybe put our hands together as we pray. I think there's a lot of value in that, especially for children. You, do, you don't want them to be distracted by other things going on. You want them to close their eyes so they're not distracted. You probably want to make sure that they're not doing this with their hands. Keep your hands together. You want them to learn the concept of, of expressing reverence to God. Bow, bow your head before God. But brethren, as we grow, we need to give a little bit more thought to that. At least in my prayer life, I find that, that bowing my head, or, or maybe more accurately just letting my head go limp, and closing my eyes and praying silently is a better recipe for sleep than it is for prayer. I need to give some thought to how I'm approaching to God in prayer. To making sure that that helps me truly pour out my heart before him. Um, I, I included a couple of other references here, if you want to write them down, of this idea of lifting hands in prayer. It seems that primarily that was an indication of kind of lifting our prayer or lifting our heart to God in the Old Testament, something that we see often. Um, and Psalm 28, it almost seems to be an idea of, of reaching out to God and, and trying to, to grasp Him. And so we see reasoning be behind this prayer body language, and it's something that I think will be helpful for us as we work in our own prayer life to be thoughtful about. But beyond that, we need to be specific and personal. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7 says, When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do. Uh, how often do we fall into meaningless repetitions? What, what if Aaron and I in our relationship said the exact same thing to one another every day? You know, every time we sat down to, to eat together, we said the exact same words. Every time we got in the car, we said the exact same words. Every time we went to bed, we said the exact same words to one another. How good of a relationship do you think we would have? And as Aaron and I communicate from day to day, certainly there are some phrases that do continually come up, some uh, you know, phrases that we've developed over, over time uh, that, that show up in our communication a lot. There's nothing wrong with that. But as I communicate with Aaron from day to day, I'm, I'm communicating to her about the things that are happening in my life, the things that we're sharing together, the things that are going on. Uh, we're trying to help that relationship grow and, and stay vibrant and not just be some old cliché. It needs to be the same in our prayers to the Lord. In Isaiah 37, we see Hezekiah as he is in a time of need. As Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is coming up against him, they've surrounded the city of Jerusalem, and he sends a letter to Hezekiah basically threatening him, trying to get him to respond in fear or in submission. Hezekiah spreads out the letter before the Lord. It says, God... Look at what Sennacherib is saying. Listen to what Sennacherib is saying and deliver us. That's how I need to be from day to day. I need to spread out my day before the Lord. I need to spread out my heart, my, my feelings, what's going on in my life before the Lord and say, God, look, I need your help. You know, many times we fall into just kind of a generic pattern of prayer. 
that I pray the same things over and over again. Um, and nothing very specific, nothing very personal. Just, well, that, this is what you say in a prayer. There are certainly times to be general in prayer. I think especially when we're in the assembly, we may not be as personal at times. We want to pray a prayer that everybody is going to be able to pray together. And they might not be aware of everything going on in, in my life. It may be appropriate for me to pray for things that everybody is aware of. But when it comes to my personal prayer time, I need to be more personal. I need not to just go back to old cliches and, and general things. I need to be specific about things in my life. And specific about things in other people's lives around me. I, I think sometimes if, if you've tried having a prayer list before, it's, it's very easy to fall into a pattern of saying, well, God be with so-and-so and God be with so-and-so and God be with so-and-so and so-and-so as well. Well, be with them in what way? What's going on in their life? What do they need? I, I think we need to be more specific and say, God, be with so-and-so. They, they're struggling with this, and they have this situation. And, and God, they need your guidance in this, and they need your strength, and they need your cover, whatever it might be. And as we deal with situations from day to day, we might say, God, I had this conversation with this person, and it made me react this way, and I want your help to react in the proper way. We need to lay out those things before the Lord. Be as specific, as personal as we can be, just as we would be in trying to build a relationship with anyone. More so, in fact. The last point we're going to make this afternoon is that we need to be watchful in our prayers. Back in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, we read, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Some versions say vigilant or watchful. How, how do you stay alert in your prayers? And I don't think he's just talking about staying awake while you're praying. How, how do you be watchful or vigilant in your prayers? I think we need to, to have our, our prayer goggles on. And we need to, to start looking at all of life through the lens of prayer. And I think this is the idea of praying without ceasing. Everything that I encounter in my life, every situation, every individual, every challenge, every blessing, I need to think, how can I be praying about this? What can I thank God about in this situation? What can I ask God's help with in this situation? In my relationship with this person, what kind of things can I be praying about? We need to have a prayerful perspective from day to day. And I think that's this idea of being watchful in prayer. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, be sober or watchful unto prayer or for the purpose of prayer. We need to have a prayerful perspective on all of life. Psalm chapter 5, Psalm 5 and verse 3 also says, In the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. I think here we see being watchful is almost something that comes after prayer. I think as well we need to be watchful for God's answers to our prayer. I need to pray in the morning and then throughout the day I need to carry that prayer with me. And be watching for God's answer to that or watching for some way in which I want to come back in the evening, bring that same prayer and revise it a little bit based on what happened in the day. I need to be watchful prior to prayer. I need to be watchful after prayer to continue having this perspective. So how about you? As you look into the mirror of God's word, you see what God desires of us as we try to develop a strong relationship with him. What kind of things do you need to work on? I'll tell you, this is, I think, the third or fourth time I've preached this sermon in the last five years. And every time I preach it, 
I, I'd say this is one of the most convicting sermons to me because it's something that I need to grow in. It's something that I need to work on. And I know that I cannot be strong in my relationship with the Lord if I'm not strong in prayer. Maybe you see some area that you need to grow, that you need to change. Make that change now. Make that change today. Make that change as you go home, as you go throughout your week. Make it from this day forward. And if there's a change that you need to make of a public nature, if you need to make your relationship with the Lord right, if you need to, to come before him, bringing your sins before him, laying them out in his presence and ask for his forgiveness, God is gracious and he wants to forgive you. If you recognize that you're not in a right relationship with him, if there's anything that we can do to help you get in that right relationship with him, that's what we're here for. That is our purpose. That's why we're seeking to help one another to grow in our relationship with the Lord, that we might have the hope that in his grace he has given to us through Jesus Christ. If there's anything that we can do to help you at this time, we ask that you'll let us know as we sing.